There are some classic hits there in the bumper. Today we're going to be talking about a modern hit. The movie that we're going to be covering this morning is The Greatest Showman. All right, some of you guys are fans. How many of you have seen The Greatest Showman before? All right, maybe about half of you have. If you've never seen it before, then I want to tell you you're in good company because I had never seen the movie until I was preparing for this particular message. I had avoided it because it's a musical. <laughs> calm down, ladies, calm down. <laughs> Gentlemen, I understand. You just cringed a little bit. You're like, oh, musical? Come on, bro. You could have told us that before I showed up this morning. I get it. But look, I'm thinking if Wolverine can be okay with singing and dancing, you and I are going to be all right. If you're not familiar with The Greatest Showman, it, is this, it stars Hugh Jackman, and it tells the life story of P.T. Barnum, the circus guy, one of history's greatest innovators and entertainers that ever lived, all right? Um, so we're going to kind of show you different sections of this movie this morning. We're going to reveal his life story as we go along, and I'm I'm going to point out the ways in which his story overlaps with and is in contradiction to the biblical story. So this story, this movie opens with Barnum's childhood. And you might think for somebody who ended so famous and well-known and wealthy and powerful even that he must have had a really great start to life, right? No, he didn't. In fact, in this first clip, what we're going to see is that P.T. Barnum grew up as an orphan. His father died when he was very young. He grew up incredibly poor. He lacked security and stability. He, he had to steal in order to eat. He was a dirty little ragamuffin, essentially, in the time he grew up. And one other thing you need to know about his childhood is that even as a young man, he fell in love with the daughter of a very wealthy aristocrat. But because he was a dirty little ragamuffin, this aristocrat was never going to allow his daughter to end up with somebody of such low estate. So we're going to roll this first bumper video. We're going to dive right into the middle of a musical number because I know some of you are not ready for a full musical number yet, okay? So we're going to dive right in. We're going to see the first part of P.T. Barnum's childhood. They can say, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say we've lost our minds I don't care, I don't care if they call us crazy Run away to a world that we design Cause every night I lie in bed The brightest colors fill my head Amazing stories from around the world. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be. A vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's gonna take. A million dreams for the world we're gonna make. 
great American railroads, three meals a day, roof over your head, fair and ample wages. Come, make your fortune. See the open plains of America. Opportunity awaits you, sir, out on the rail. All right, so Barnum's early days were pretty rough, right? Like nobody would want to live that kind of childhood. If you're raising up kids today, you would never want them to have to go through and experience the different things that poor Phineas Barnum had to deal with when he was a kid. I really like that they give you this backstory here because his childhood becomes a great reminder to you and I that you don't have to have a great start in order to have a great finish. You guys grateful for that? I have Absolutely am. You do not have to have a great start in order to have a great finish. Can we put that one on the screen for him? Thank you so much. Um, I find this very encouraging because I didn't have a great start to life. I grew up in very rough circumstances, maybe not quite as bad as Mr. Barnum did, but you know what? I grew up in a home with parents who had severe uh, drug and alcohol addictions, and it impacted our family in some pretty significant ways growing up. And so I made a lot of the same mistakes and had to deal with a lot of the same issues that PT. Barnum did. I was running the streets. I was hanging out with bad kids. I did take a shower. I didn't look as dirty as he did, but you know, I like there were times I stole. There were times I took substances on my own to make me forget the pain that was going on at home. I grew up with a pretty terrible start, but I'm grateful that one day I encountered God. I was 17 years old. I was, you know, just getting ready to graduate high school. And I encountered God and he changed my life. He helped me to turn absolutely everything around. And I came to understand that I don't have to have a great start in order to have a great finish. Oh, man. Like, many of you have had similar stories. And what you'll, you may be surprised about is if you read the scripture, that they're full of people. Stories of the Bible are full of people who had terrible beginnings, but they ended, they finished very, very well. Listen, the truth from this is my past doesn't have to define my future. The things that I've gone through in days and months and years past do not have to dictate what happens in the days to come. Listen, if you've ever felt held back by your yesterdays, either because something happened to you, circumstances beyond your control when you were growing up or over the last few years, or if you've made some decisions in your life and you look back and you're like, oh, I'm filled with so much regret over the things that I've done, I want you to know you really only have two ways of responding. Either you can blame your situations and circumstances, or with God's help, you can overcome your situations and circumstances. Those are your two options. Those are the only two things that you're going to end up doing. And my hope and prayer is, like me and like so many others have discovered, you would know that you don't have to let your past define your future. You can overcome. You can conquer in Jesus' name. There are some really great things that can happen. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Zechariah 4.10. My guess is you've never read the book of Zechariah in your entire life. But there's one verse in there that's worth reading for sure. Actually, they're all worth reading. Don't send me any emails. But this one is amazing. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see his work begin. Hey, look, you might be here this morning and life has not started out the way that you imagined. Maybe your marriage is off to a very rocky beginning. 
Perhaps you feel down on yourself because you've been coming to church for a few months now and things just aren't quite clicking between you and Jesus. But while you're beating yourself up over your past circumstances or your current failures, I believe God is up in heaven and he is cheering you on. I believe he sees every little baby step you take in the right direction. Even the one that's just so tiny you can't even imagine it matters, it does. While you're beating yourself up, God is cheering you on because he rejoices to see his work begin in you. Every step you take in the right direction is something that God celebrates, and I would challenge you to learn to celebrate it as well. Yes, God knows where you're at. He knows where you were at last night. He knows how far you have to go yet, but he's going to get you there if you trust him and if you cooperate with what he's trying to do in your life. You don't have to have a great start in order to have a great finish. Okay, so we're going to fast forward a few years in P.T. Barnum's life. And he's married his childhood sweetheart, that little blonde girl that you saw early on in the music uh, montage. He's married her. They have, by the time we pick up this next clip, they have had a couple of very adorable little daughters. And he wants to give his family a better life than he experienced as a child. Totally reasonable, right? And so he starts coming up with all of these business ideas in order to make that happen. One day, inspiration strikes him, and he decides the thing that is going to catapult him to success and to happiness in life is to open a wax museum. And so he wants to open this wax museum and invite people from all over the region to come in and see unique and fantastical, wondrous things. And again, he is certain, absolutely positive that this is the thing that's going to make him happy and satisfied in life. But let's watch what happens instead. (laughs) Now, I know how it looks. If you didn't, I'd be worried. I mean, it just needs a little work, but... You, the loan has to be paid back every month. Oh, yeah, we're going to pay. We just need customers. Hundreds of them. We're going to get them. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Barn Museum. It is one hour of your time, sir, but it will change your life. We have shows on the hour every hour. I'm you. Good enough for the paint of heart. I can tell you're going to love it. Half price for anyone who's wearing a hat. Oh, that's you, sir. Welcome to the Barn Museum. Welcome to the Barn Museum, where everyone's How many special. tickets? Three. isn't stuffed. Like a mermaid. Or a unicorn. Unicorns aren't real. Well, mermaids aren't real either. 
So Barnum's first attempt to make it big turned out to be a pretty big failure, right? And I think all of us can relate to that, that sensation of failing at something we really thought was going to succeed, of dealing with rejection from people who, you know, are supposed to love us and accept us no matter what happens. Like maybe in your life there was a time where you really wanted to make a sports team and you didn't. I played baseball for like 13 or 14 years growing up, and there was one particular year that I was playing as shortstop for my team, and I thought for certain I was going to make the all-star squad at the end of the year, but I didn't. You know who did? The coach's son. Come on. I know the only reason that dude made the all-star team was because he was the coach's son. At 12 years old, I did not know the word nepotism, but I learned it that day. And that rejection, that failure, it stuck with me. It's like 25 years in the future, and I still carry around that wound from the fact that I didn't make the team, the all-star team, that particular year. Hey, maybe you didn't get accepted into your first choice of university. You had your whole, your plan laid out. You knew how it was going to go until it didn't go that way. And you're like, ah, what am I going to do with myself? Perhaps, you know, you got passed over for a promotion or you had a date and they never called you back and then they ghosted you and you're like, am I that ugly? You know, you've dealt with rejection in your life. We all have. And I know what I'm about to say sounds so incredibly obvious, but I feel like it's important that we remind ourselves of this pretty regularly. Rejection is an unavoidable part of life, you guys. Rejection's unavoidable. We're all going to deal with it. And if you're going to do something significant in the world, you better know that you're going to deal with rejection. Hey, if you're going to do something significant for God, write it down. You're going to experience people saying no, people rejecting you, not wanting what it is that you're doing. And when you're dealing with rejection or failure in this life, it can be very easy in those moments to assume that either God doesn't exist or if he does exist, he must not care about me. Otherwise, why didn't he intervene and protect me from going through this trial? You ever been there? Things did not work out the way you thought they would. You experienced failure or rejection. And you assume, well, there can't be a God or he must not care about me because if he existed and he loved me the way Pastor Dan keeps telling me he does, then he would have intervened and kept me from going through this dark valley. Can I tell you something incredibly important? I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but this is something that pastors need to say all the time. Hard times are not proof that God has abandoned you. Hard times are not proof that God has abandoned you. Look at what Jesus himself had to say in John chapter number 15, verse 18. Jesus said to his followers, to me and to you, he says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If you are going to do anything of significance, particularly for God in this world, you will experience rejection and your failure or your hard times are not proof that God has abandoned you. Although rejection happens to the best of us, it does not need to get the best of us. You know people for whom rejection has become the defining moment of their life. People for whom their failure has been something that they cannot get beyond. And so they carry around a victim mentality and they're tied to their past. And they just cannot move to where God wants them to be because they can't let go of their past wounds. But listen, you don't have to get bitter in your situations. I'm a firm believer that God can help you go through bitter situations without becoming a bitter person. 
I've experienced that in my life, and I know many of you have as well. His power, his mercy, and his grace are present for each one of us so that even when we go through bitter situations like failure and rejection, we do not have to become a bitter person. There was this one moment in which somebody was wrestling with the hard times they were going through, and God said to them, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. Hard times are not proof that God has abandoned you. So rather than getting bitter, P.T. Barnum decides to take his daughter's advice, that cute little thing she said there at, at bedtime, where she said, Daddy, you've got too many dead things in your show. And he decides, you know what? She's right. And so he creates a new show that contains living people. But as you well know, he chooses very unique people to be the stars of his show. He chooses bearded ladies and tattooed men. He chooses little people and circus acrobats. And he creates this fantastic show that is based around all of these people that have been cast out by society. And wouldn't you know it, the crowds love it. They show up in droves. He sells out his circus night after night after night. Everything is going P.T. Barnum's way. He's got wealth, he's got popularity, he walks down the street and everybody's like, Mr. Barnum, Mr. Barnum, Mr. Barnum. He's got the love of his life that he's married. He's got two of the cutest little kids you can imagine. And apparently they have some pretty good business acumen too. You need to put those kids out to work, right? Like everything is going well for P.T. Barnum. And so you would think, well, now he's finally gonna be happy, right? He's got everything he ever wanted, But do you remember how I told you in the beginning that as a child, he envied those rich aristocrats. He envied the cultural elite who had rejected him because he was a dirty little ragamuffin. I just like calling kids dirty little ragamuffins. That's funny. All right. So they rejected him and they still haven't embraced him. Despite the fact that the populace has rallied around him and they love his circus acts, The rich aristocrats that are around, they view his circus as lowbrow freak show material. And so they don't want anything to do with him. And he still carries that soul wound around. And so he decides, I've got to do something. I've got to give them something that will make them accept me. And so he goes searching for a world-famous singer named Jenny Lind. And he is convinced if he can get this gorgeous opera singer to come add some culture and sophistication to his show, that finally he'll be accepted by these cultural elites and he'll finally have the happiness and satisfaction he's always been desiring. Let's roll our next clip. Miss Lind, let me get to the point. I'd like to bring you to New York. And if you agree, I'll make you the most famous singer, not in Europe, but in the entire world. Hmm. And have you heard me sing? Absolutely. No, I haven't. Uh, But like mine, your reputation precedes you, and, well, I trust your reputation more than my own taste, so... I've never been to America. You will sing in the grandest theater with the finest orchestra in the greatest city on Earth. Jenny Lind. One night only. Or maybe two. (laughs) And... At 20% of the gate, it'll be a Queen's ransom for your efforts. I give most of my earnings to charity, Mr. Barnum, to orphans and widows. Voice of a nightingale, heart of an angel. That's brilliant. I mean, the press will go crazy for that story. That's not a story. May I ask you something, Mr. Barnum? Anything? Why me? People come to my show for the pleasure of being hoodwinked. Just once, I'd love to give them something real. <laughs> 
misled. Everyone is here. Look at this. Even the Winthrops. Are you happy? I will be if this works. Did you catch that very important interchange there in that last scene between Phineas and his wife, Charity? She turns to her husband and she says, are you happy? We could even insert the word finally there. And what she's saying is, are you finally happy? You've transcended your past. You've gotten the the crowds to love you. You've become wealthy and famous. And now you're on the cusp of even these cultural aristocrats accepting you. Are you finally happy? And did you catch what he said? He said, I will be if this works. I will be if. You see, this conversation tells us something incredibly important about P.T. Barnum's mindset. He has transitioned, he's transcended his past. He's no longer living under the weight of the difficult circumstances that he had in days gone by. But now he's made an equally unhealthy mistake. He is living for the hope of the future. He is trusting that if he can just get these people to finally accept him, then he'll be happy. He's living this win-then syndrome. When they say they love me, then I'll know I've made it and I can finally be satisfied in life. Jenny Lynn, the singer, goes on in the next scene to sing probably the most beautiful song in the entire movie. And the irony is... The song she sings is called It's Never Enough. And if you listen closely to the lyrics, you find out that she's saying that even if we get the things that we want most in life, the things that we are certain will make us happy, once we have them, we discover it's never enough. We're not satisfied when we live under a win-then syndrome. I wonder how many of us in this theater this morning are living with a win-then syndrome. I wonder how many of us are certain that when the right things happen, then we can finally be happy and satisfied with life. When I get my promotion, then I can be happy. When I get my answers, I'll finally have peace. When I get a raise, then I can be generous. When, then. We're living for tomorrow. The problem with this kind of mindset is that the whole time that you're chasing after these things that you think will make you happy, you cannot be happy. If you think a spouse is the only thing that's ever going to make you happy, you won't be happy until you finally get a spouse. And let me tell you, somebody who's been married for 15 years, spouses don't always make you happy. I mean, she always makes me happy. I was saying I don't always make her happy. You're with me. You get it. You get it. You get it. For as long as you chase these things, you won't be happy. And then, when and if you finally get them, you can only be happy for as long as you're able to hold on to them. What happens if you spend your entire life pursuing things that you believe will make you happy, you get them, and then you lose them? P.T. Barnum had to deal with this exact same question. In our next scene, we're going to find out that his building in which he hosts his shows and circuses burns to the ground. 
And then his life spirals out of control and he loses all the things that he thought were gonna make him happy. Let's roll clip number four. Come to gloat, I wouldn't. They caught the thugs who started the fire. I thought you'd like to know. I never liked your show, but I always thought the people did. They did, they do. Mind you, I wouldn't call it art. Of course not. But putting folks of all kinds on stage with you, all colors, shapes, sizes, presenting them as equals, or another critic might have even called it a celebration of humanity. I would have liked that. Mm. Well, I hope you'll rebuild. Mm. Thank God for Jenny's tour. We can we can bar off the profits. We'll be fine. You don't know. Mm. I'm sorry. Charity? Oh, God, Charity. I am... I don't want to talk to you. N nothing happened. This oh, is ridiculous. Nothing happened. It's on the cover of every paper in New York. Because she orchestrated the photo. I'm not in love with her. Well, of course you're not. Not with her, not with me, not with anyone. Just you and your show. What are you doing? I'm going home. This is your home. The bank... They're evicting us. Why didn't you ask me before? I would have said yes. I never minded the risk, but we always did it together. Barnum loses everything he spent his entire life pursuing. His beautiful wife, his loving family, his business, the wealth, the acceptance, all of it is gone just like that. And in the wake of all of this loss, he has another revelation. And uh, we're going to roll just half, okay guys, we're going to roll half of his final song. And in his final song, he expresses what he's come to recognize, that he wants to come back home because the things that he's been chasing his whole life have actually been right in front of him this whole time. Last clip.
everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here, right in front of you. So I don't know if you know it, but every single movie you watch has a message behind it. You might just watch a movie because it has cool action sequences or really interesting songs and dances and things like that. Heck, you might even watch a movie just because it's got a really hot actor or actress in it. But every single movie you watch actually has a message that it's trying to communicate to you. And part of the reason that we do this at the movie series is because I hope that you'll train yourself to start to pick up on the messages that Hollywood is sending you. And then you can say, does this message line up with what the Bible tells me is ultimately true? The message of the greatest showman is that it is foolish to live under the weight of yesterday or for the hope of tomorrow. Instead, we should live for the joy of today. All right. That's not too bad. I could get behind that. In fact, I think you could argue that this is even a biblical mindset to a certain extent. Look at what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter number six, verse 34. In the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible, Jesus says this, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about yesterday, nor what may or may not happen tomorrow. So Jesus seems to say here, like, yes, it is better to live in the moment than to live tied to the wounds of yesterday or the hopes of tomorrow. Pay attention to what God is trying to do right now in your life here in this theater in Cross Iron Mills. The problem though, is that this solution and message, it doesn't go far enough because there is one time period that our world always forgets about. Our world knows about yesterday and our world knows about today and our world knows about tomorrow, but they always forget about eternity. And eternity is a very real time that we will all have to deal with at some point. Can we put that slide up? Thank you. Eternity. All of us were created to live forever with God. Me and you and Phineas Barnum and everybody else. And while the greatest showman is correct that it's foolish to live for yesterday or tomorrow and ignore today, Jesus says it is foolish to live for any of those temporary time periods and to ignore eternity. Well, I'll read you this last verse, John chapter number six, verse 27. Look at what our Lord says. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Instead, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of God can give to you. See, this is the message of the gospel, and this is where the message of the Bible kind of contradicts the message of the greatest showman. The time period you need to be focusing on is not just now, but it is forever, because you will spend forever somewhere. You'll be with God or you'll be without Him. Eternity is real, and it is the time period that matters most. Don't live tied to your past wounds, and don't live believing that you'll be happy when but live for what God is trying to do in your heart and mind right now. And most importantly, live with the eternal life that Jesus offers to every single one of us. Then you're not just happy and satisfied and fulfilled for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, but forever with the one who created you. 
So if you say, Dan, this is me, man. I've been tied to the past or I've been tied to the future. I want to live with what God is trying to do today. And I want to know that I'm going to spend eternity with him. I'm going to invite every single person in the auditorium to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you say, Dan, this is me. This is the thing that I am missing right now, this relationship with God. Then you might say a very simple prayer. I'll say it. You can repeat it in your heart after me. Dear Jesus, I need to move beyond yesterday. And I need to get over the lie that I'll only be happy when this or that happens. By your grace, I'm asking you for eternal life that begins today and never, ever ends. Thank you for that knowledge. Thank you for that freedom. Thank you for your salvation. In your name I pray, amen. 